0: Gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Episode number twenty-six of the MMA podcast with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head. Joining me is my podcasting sparring partner, Mr. Chumakar Sandu. How are you, buddy?
1: I'm very well, Simon. Good to be back on another episode of our fantastic podcast.
0: Fantastic. I'll leave that to the uh, the viewers to judge. By the way, on that on that topic, if you do listen to this. Uh, We would hugely appreciate it. We're going to get the begging in early doors this week, Um, Sandu. Please do leave us a, leave us a review on, on iTunes. Uh, It it helps push us up the, the iTunes rankings as well as the downloads that we get. And uh, we're doing all right on the download front, given that it's only, it's us two yakking on Skype. It's, uh, it's, it's doing okay. But yeah, any reviews you could leave for us, uh, the more positive, the better, obviously Uh, would, would, would be much appreciated. 26 shows in, and uh, we're doing this pretty regularly now. Which, uh, as Sandu will probably attest, uh, it took a while to get this thing started and to get me convinced that we could do this on a weekly basis. But we're we're now off and running. And uh, the UFC season, if you can call it that, is very much very much up and running as well. We had a bit of a bit of a slow start. Now the shows are beginning to come thick and fast. This past weekend, we had UFC Fight Night 104 in Houston, Texas. Uh, coming up next weekend is UFC 208 in Brooklyn, New York. We will preview the former and review... Or sorry, yeah, preview the latter and review the former uh, on this week's show, episode number 26. We might as well just kick straight into this, Sandu Fight Night 104, Dennis Bermudez versus the Korean Zombie. Amazing comeback from, from Chan Sung Jung. Three and a half years out. I don't think that many people would. It wasn't that people weren't giving him a chance. I think everyone knew that he had a chance, but because he was a he was a former world title contender and was pushing Jose Aldo until he had that separated shoulder that eventually saw him saw him lose. That was the last time we saw him in the octagon until this weekend. Three and a half year absence though was a long time, especially in MMA when the sport is constantly evolving, constantly changing, and going straight in there with a top ten contender like Dennis Bermudez. I picked Dennis Bermudez ahead of time to win that fight. Uh almost I don't well, I I don't think I know anybody who who picked Chan Sung Jung to win that fight ahead of time. So for him to win it and to to do it with a, a perfectly placed uppercut like he did to claim a knockout victory on his return, remarkable stuff from the Korean zombie. How impressed with were you with his performance on his on his comeback?
1: Oh well I think it's an early contender for comeback of the year, Simon I mean, I was thinking about this and you're hard-pressed to see another great comeback this year. You've probably got John Jones in the running when he comes back uh, in the summer. Uh, if he's able to reclaim his UFC light heavyweight championship, that'll be a comeback of the year story. Let's see if George St. Pierre comes back to the UFC um, and if he's going to be put into a, a title picture. And if he wins a title, that would most certainly be a comeback of the year story. But as, we, as, as of where we are right now, in, in February of 2017, this was just uh, just unbelievable, fantastic story. Uh, the fact that he referenced uh, Dominic Cruz's uh, return after multiple ACL surgeries um, was really, really cool to see. The fact that he still had his finger on the pulse, he was still keeping an eye on the situation, even though he was halfway around the world uh, doing his mandatory civilian duty uh, for the South Korean uh, military and uh, and he wasn't really getting too much, you know, hardcore top level elite level MMA training. From from what I uh, heard and read, he was perhaps getting an hour here and there every other every other day, doing what he could. Uh, so to come back from a from that much of an absence and to go straight in in a main event slot with a big spotlight on you uh, against a top ten contender in Dennis Bermudez. Um, who's pretty much in his in his in his prime right now, and was you know uh, he's 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 been you know on a on a on a pretty decent run you know he's had his you know fair share of losses here and there, um, but like you Simon, I picked him uh, to win the fight, uh, and and he did it almost in zombie fashion, Chang Sung Young, where he he, he took a couple of licks here and there, walked right through them um, like a zombie. And, uh, and yeah, he got a fantastic uppercut in. Um, there may have been a little kind of conversation um, about the actual stoppage, uh, which many perhaps felt was um, a little early. Uh, but I think you and me, Simon, are both on the same page where I would rather it be a little early than, than too late. And, of course, the referee jumped in uh, to stop the fight and, uh, and declare Chan Sung Jung the winner. And I think what this does now is it, it, it puts him right back in Um, a very very competitive uh, featherweight division and uh, there could be some very interesting and tasty matchmaking as we head and roll into the remainder of 2017
0: yeah it really does and you just sort of look at that featherweight division and you think the korean zombie versus the korean superboy one day who you know maybe or i think jeremy stevens is itching to fight somebody chan Jung could be the guy cub swanson I think would make an excellent opponent stylistically. You know, there's there's options galore for him. And Dennis Bermudez being a, a number nine ranked guy, Chan Sung Jung beats him with style points. He's going to jump straight into the top ten, probably just outside that top five position. And uh, he's going to be one fight away from a contender fight. I think he's straight back in the mix. It's almost like he hasn't missed a beat. And, uh, you know, that, that featherweight division just, just got a little bit more stacked. Really, really looking forward to seeing what they do next with the Korean Zombie. You mentioned the you mentioned a the stoppage there. Yeah, I had no problem with that stoppage at all. I think he did knock out Dennis Bermudez, and Bermudez just recovered very quickly. Uh, but the telltale sign, and it's it's you know it's, it's amazing how common we see it. The referee sees it, jumps in, and the uh, the opponent who's been knocked out and has suddenly re- or recovered his consciousness at least is trying to shoot a a takedown on the ref, which is always a sign that they haven't quite recovered properly, because you don't wear trousers when you're fighting in the octagon. So it's 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 all shiny 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 boots or whatever. So yeah, I thought uh, I thought that was a good stoppage. No no complaining really from Dennis Bermudez afterwards. Took it took it on the chin so to speak. Was very classy afterwards. And um, yeah, I mean he's 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 a bit unlucky I think in some respects because. He's a talented guy. He's just found himself in a weight class that's just absolutely packed with killers. Uh, perhaps if he was, you know, a few pounds lighter, he'd be uh, he'd be a little bit higher up the rankings. You know, he's 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 got all the tools to be a top level fighter. It's just there are so many elite level guys in that featherweight division. But the man who moves on is Chan Sung Jung, and we're looking forward to seeing what happens with him next. Co-main event Sandu. I'm a bit surprised that this was the co-main event, first off. I, I honestly thought we'd see Jessica Andrade versus Angela Hill as the co-main event, what with Andrade being potentially lined up for a championship fight, Angela Hill returning to the UFC as a Invicta world champion. To me, that was the more sellable co-main event. They went with Felice Herrig against Alexa Grasso, and I think the UFC matchmakers may have thought of this as being a bit of a showcase fight for alexa grasso didn't did turn out quite that way did it felice herrig put on i thought a fantastic performance looked absolutely superb consistently beat alexa grasso to the punch and dominated really across three rounds i don't think she lost a round grasso whether she's found her level and she's just not quite there yet or whether she had you know just had a bad day at the office i'm not so sure i think She's still very young in her career. We're going to need to see another couple of fights before we know just just how good she can be. But Felice Herring used all her veteran smarts and won that fight convincingly. Really impressed with how she, how she turned turned out on uh, on Saturday night, Sandy.
1: Yeah, what a feather in her cap. To, to be the first woman to defeat Alexa Grasso, that's going to do wonders for her um, as she kind of makes a return uh, to action for the UFC. Um, she hasn't been and you know she hasn't really kind of you know featured too much in the UFC last couple of years as pretty much averaging a fight a year. But she did talk a lot about getting uh, the mental state right, getting her body weight uh, and bits and pieces all in check over the course of the last year. Uh, And I thought she put on a really mature veteran performance. You know, she's coming up to almost 19, 20 fights now uh, in professional MMA, but she's got a background um, in kickboxing as well. You know, she's in her early 30s. She's been around. And um, I think she's now finally starting to put it all together. And great call out for Paige Van Zandt um, and potentially Michelle Watson, She definitely made uh, use of that co-main event spotlight. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, we always talk about fighters not taking advantage of the post-fight interview moment, um, whether it was John Annick or Brian Stan. She definitely took advantage of that moment. And I think... If the UFC matchmakers, you know, need uh, another big fox or an FS1 main or co-main to feature the ladies, I think a Felice Herrig versus Paige VanZant would be. I think that's the fight to make. What do you think, sir? Yeah,
0: totally agree. I think, I think Michelle Waterson is is right up there in championship contention for my money. I think they should be looking to put her, if not in a championship match, then in a t- title eliminator. Um, we'll talk about the world championship picture in uh, in a strawweight division probably a little bit later on in the show because of a fight that happened earlier in the night. But I think right now the best fight for Felice Harry would be Paige Van Zandt. I think it it fits the bill for a big Fox show. I think it fits what the UFC want to put out on Fox. They, they've been very keen to push Paige in particular on that platform. Um, you know, she draws eyeballs and, and TV ratings, so I think it makes sense. Her and Felice, I think, would make for a, an action-packed fight as well. I think it would be a fun fight to put on. Um, That would be what I would do next. So that was Felice Herrig picking up the win in the co-main event. Uh, We'll talk about a bit more strawweight action in a bit, but we'll run down the main cards. James Vick, the Texecutioner, fighting in his home state of Texas, picked up a submission winning as Abel, Killer, Trujillo, Dash Choke. He had had plenty of goes at it before he eventually got it locked up. And... uh, Finally, finally forced the tap in the third round. But that was a good performance by him. Vic is always impressed with his boxing, and he showed us that he's he's no slouch when it comes to the submissions as well. Abel Trujillo looked well. I, I, I don't know what the difference in height was, but it was it was huge. And Trujillo is sort of a, a very squat, sort of a very powerfully built lightweight. Um, could re- really struggle to get his hands on James Vic in that fight, even with his superior wrestling skills. Uh, Vic was the guy who ended up winning the fight on the mat, which came as a bit of a surprise to me. I thought Vic would either outbox him over three rounds, or Trujillo might catch him with a big shot, or maybe ground and pound him. I actually picked Trujillo to win the fight. So, um, good performance from James Vic, who on his day is as awkward an opponent as you can get at 155 pounds.
1: Yeah, I mean, if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. That's that's the old saying, isn't it? And he definitely tried that Dars choke um, for quite some time before he finally got able to to tap out there. Uh, but but if you actually look at his record, which I'm looking at right now, um, he he has a you know a fair share. Of, uh, of submission victories um but i'm like you uh, you know you, you see james vick he's a very tall rangy um kind of body type and you'd think that you know if you know he'd be able to use that to his advantage and really kind of outbox and out kickbox his opponents but um he's he's an all-rounded mixed martialized you know and, and i think the most important thing for this particular fight was he was coming off a loss his very first loss uh to banil dariush um, last June. And sometimes you just don't know how far is going to deal with that very first loss. Sometimes they can tumble out of control and one loss becomes two, becomes three, and then all of a sudden you're out of the UFC. Um, so very important for him to kind of go back to the drawing board, um, figure a few things out, um, and get um, you know a pretty pretty good victory over a named opponent on a, on a UFC on Fox main card. So uh, good job for, for James Vick there.
0: Definitely. And further down the main card, we have two Pretty sizable shock results. One of them one of them came at 205 pounds. Uh, Volkan Özdemir, who uh, is a Swiss fighter, jumped in there with Ovin St. Prue, who was looking to bounce back after that brutal knockout loss to uh, our very own Jimmy the Posterboy Boy Manor at UFC 204 in Manchester. But it didn't go OSPs why he lost on the cards. And it was a little bit controversial. I know... Um, people who were octagon side scored the fight for osp i think osp may just about have done enough to win it but it was very close i don't think you could argue uh when when it you know the scores of 29 28 and uh that's how they came in 29 28 twice for Ozdemir, who picked up the biggest win of his mixed martial arts career and osp all of a sudden is staring at a, a three-fight losing streak
1: Yeah, I mean, we just spoke about this. Uh, James Vick, you know, came off uh, a loss and got back to winning ways. And it's been a very, very difficult year for OSP. Um, He was coming off a win uh, against Rafael Cavalcante, and bang, he was right in there, main event against John Jones, it doesn't get uh, a bigger profile than that. And he, and, he, and he did well for himself. Going the distance with John Jones, obviously it turned out that he was uh, suffering from a, a broken arm at some point during the fight pretty early on, which kind of almost added to his performance. But then after that, he loses Jimmy Manua, which we were both cage-side for in Manchester last, um, last October. And now uh, I think a fight that really, a lot of people, I believe both of us, you know, picked him to win this one. He should have won. Given his stature, given his experience, um, and that was a major, major upset. And I don't know where he goes from here now because that's his third loss in a row and his fourth loss in his last five in the UFC. So, and um, you know, you know, we know that the UFC is trimming the fat, so to speak, with regards to their roster. Um, not re-upping a, a few fighters when their contract expires. I don't know how many fights that OSP has left on his contract. If he's got a few, he really, really needs to make the most of them uh, and make uh, make some noise um, if he wants to stick around in the UFC for much longer.
0: Yeah, he's he's got this very sort of laid back, sort of languid fighting style, and it doesn't always look great on the eye. If you're watching him fight, you know, he, he sometimes he looks like he's gassed when it's early in the fight and I'm sure he isn't. It's just, he has this, he has this demeanor about him in the octagon and, you know, early on in his UFC career, he was, he was catching people out because people were being lulled in by him and, you know, because he looks kind of passive in there at times, but, um, he's, he's a big, strong guy and he can bang, but he's, you, you just get the impression with, with Ovens that whether you, you know, he's actually hitting his full potential because he's a, if, if you look back at his athletic career, he's, he's he's very talented all-round athlete. And jumping into the UFC and doing as well as he's done, obviously he, he got to the stage where he was challenging John Jones for the interim belt, and I watched that fight live. And, and even in that fight, I was watching thinking, find another gear and you'll win this fight. Obviously at the time I didn't realise that he'd broken his arm. So that obviously gives you some sort of uh, mitigating circumstance for perhaps why he didn't. But it was very similar here. It was, it, it it just didn't seem to want to sort of find that extra gear that allows him to just dominate an opponent and win convincingly. And you know what they say: don't leave it in the hands of the judges. And uh, as Bert Watson used to say, the judges will make you cry every time. And um, you know they certainly they certainly didn't go RSP's way. That was a big shock. But an even bigger shock came immediately beforehand. We had a heavyweight fight between. Anthony Freight Train Hamilton who is a sizable lump in the UFC's heavyweight division most recently coming off a defeat where uh, he was brutally uh by uh Francis Ngannou but other than that he, he's he's a solid operator in that heavyweight division he's I don't think he's going to challenge for a championship anytime soon but he's one of those where if you can get past him then you're on the way to better things you know and he stepped in there with uh, Marcel Fortuna who weighed two hundred and ten pounds a weighing day for a heavyweight fight. So he's only five pounds into that heavyweight limit. Hamilton I think weighs something like two fifty three or two fifty six or something like that. So and on fight night you can bet you can bet Hamilton had bulked up even more. So, you know, we're talking probably around fifty pound uh, weight differential, which is ridiculous. Uh you know, that's 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 a good couple of weight classes, you know. Um and uh, Fortuna went in there, and he's got good good grappling credentials. And people were thinking maybe he can catch him with a submission, maybe he can get into the mat and ca- catch him with a submission. And he goes and knocks him out in the most brutal, spectacular way possible: face plant, walk off, knockout. And um, no one saw that coming. I mean, this 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 fight card is absolutely littered with uh, upset results, where. The so-called the so-called pundits, the so-called experts, have been have, have, have been humbled somewhat, and uh, you know I'm certainly no no exception. I thought Anthony Hamilton would win that fight relatively comfortably, and Marcel Fortuna just KO'd him in the first round, no less. So unbelievable! And Fortuna immediately said he wants to go back down to light heavyweight. I don't blame him. Um, <laughs> Because I was watching the fight, I'm like, this can't be legal. How did this get sanctioned? And then he goes and wins by knockout. So what do we know?
1: Well, I actually had Hamilton down for a first-round KO prediction, and it actually went totally the opposite way. And and I think maybe Fortuna's making the right decision there, because he's gone up to heavyweight, he's knocked out a true heavyweight in spectacular fashion, and the fact that he wants to go back to light heavyweight is great, because the light heavyweight needs... Um, needs fires, needs names, needs uh you know, prospects to go make their way up the ladder and I and I suspect it'll be a much easier climb up the ladder for him um compared to heavyweight. So um so yeah. Two oh five needs him and he wants to go two oh five, I think that's a match made in heaven right there.
0: Yeah, looking forward to seeing what they do with him because uh he's immediately building a highlight reel for himself and obviously that was a knockout, but he's better known for his for his grappling skills, so that may act as a bit of a curveball and a bit of a spoiler when people are looking to prepare to face him. I'm sure Hamilton was preparing to face a grappler and perhaps didn't pay much mind to Fortuna striking. and it's, uh, it's backfired in a major way. Now, we hinted at it earlier, and I think this is the fight that probably deserves the most airtime on the show, to be honest with you. Jessica Andrade versus Angela Hill. I... I don't think this is too far short of being the best female fight we've seen in the UFC. You know, we, we've we've seen some we've seen some great matches in the past. Ewany and Jacek has been involved in a couple of crackers. Claudia Gadalia last year was a good fight. The Carolina Corkevich uh, fight in New York was a belter as well. But I think this is I think this one's right up there. Jessica Andrade against Angela Hill, um, and uh, just just a remarkable, remarkable fight. And Jessica Andrade is now absolutely in pole position to take on the aforementioned strawweight champion of the world, J Jacek. And that is a fight that has me very, very excited indeed. I think that is, from a stylistic point of view, it can't fail to deliver. It can't fail to deliver.
1: Yeah, I mean, what Andrade has done now, and she is the official number one contender for Yana um title. Dana White made that very clear. She's got a nice little streak put together over some formidable names in the strawweight division. Jessica Penne, Joanne Calderwood, and the Invicta champion. Uh, well, I, I guess Andraja is now calling herself the unofficial Invicta champion, and uh, she wants to unify the belts. The, the guess, linear yeah,
0: champion, yeah.
1: Yeah. By um, beating Angela Hill. I think she did a really good job on um on Saturday night and she's obviously put together a fantastic uh run of victories there. I still think the jury is out on how she would perform over five rounds. And that's going to be the true test when she does face Yana chick who has got a ton of experience now in big high profile main event slots over the course of five rounds. And I think Jana making a move from Poland over to Florida, training with ATT, uh, I think she almost kind of foresaw some of the challenges that were creeping around the corner in the division. And I'm, you know, I'm sure she's uh, you know, been improving her, her takedown effect, defense and her overall wrestling ability um, at AT&T because we obviously we know she's a world-class striker. Uh, and she's going to have to put that to full effect when she does face Jessica Andrade eventually, I mean um, Andrade is a pit bull of a fighter, um, but I'd still pick um, Joanna Jancic in that fight. Um, I, I just can't, I can never go against an undefeated fighter until they actually suffer their first loss. So right now, um, I would definitely favour Joanna, but she's definitely going to have her hands full because Andrade is proving to be the real deal um, in that women's strawweight division.
0: Yeah, she's really benefited from moving back down. She was competing at 135 pounds and was ridiculously undersized in that division and was punching above her weight and doing remarkably well given the, uh, the size differential. She's now fighting in a, in a more natural weight class of her and she looks outstanding. The one reason why I completely agree with you and I think you know, the pick for that title fight will still be Joanny and JJ is because Angela Hill was still landing clean. Uh, she, she was using her feet very well and countering Jessica Josh superbly she was you know she was trading with her really well and you know from a technical standpoint Angela Hill was the better striker um she was in my opinion at least you know I think her footwork was better I think her counter striking was on point but the difference the difference between the two was Andrade was just relentless she's got the strength and and, and the power she was just walking through a lot of what Angela was doing now if you can marry up the sort of skills that Hill has with a little bit more power and perhaps increased output then you've got yourself a real fight, and and I think Ioanni and Jacek certainly has that. And Ioana likes to push the pace as well. So when you've got someone like Jessica who really likes to get on the front foot and force her opponent back against someone like Ioana who likes to dominate the center of the octagon and really stalk her opponent around the cage, I think it makes for a fantastic stylistic matchup. And you, you know the big question is where will they put it on? Will we get it in Europe? Maybe uh, as a European world champion, would they would they consider putting on a a world championship fight in Europe again um, or will they use it to sort of bolster another show in the US all I do know is whenever it is and wherever it is I want to I want to watch the thing because that's going to be one hell of a fight Johanny um, yeah, and Jayshipp versus Jessica Andrade strawweight championship of the world and I think probably the toughest test of Johanny uh, and Jayshik's career so far that pretty much wraps up most of the, the sort of the headline stories from USC Final at 104 other notables to to just very quickly touch on and pick out pick out any that that stand out to you. saying I mean Curtis Blades ragdolled Adam Milstead, who eventually end up losing via TKO due to a, a pretty nasty looking knee injury. Uh, we hope he's okay and that that knee isn't as bad as we all feared it might be uh, on Fight Night. Uh, he was incredibly undersized as well. Curtis Blades looking an absolute monster at heavyweight. And it only goes to show just how much of a monster Francis Ngannou is, because Ngannou took Blades to the cleaners when they fought in Zagreb. So um, that's that's a really interesting one as well. Blades, I think, could be a rising contender as well. Tisha Torres beat Beck Rawlins pretty convincingly on the scorecards, 30-27 all the way around. Torres is one of the most technically sound fighters in that division, but she just doesn't seem to have the finishing power. Um, and uh, it's something that's been leveled against her in the past, but she put on a very, very good slick display to pick up another win. And uh, the UFC Fight Pass prelims, which aren't getting the shine that they used to get, Sandu. Now, yeah. uh, now, now, Eric Winter has, has, has uh departed. It it feels like the Fight Pass prelims are being relegated back to the sort of the status of the old Facebook prelims, yeah. where they are the two lowest fights on the you know the lowest heat fights on the card. But what we did see on uh, on Saturday was two uh, notable knockout victories. Khalil Roundtree Jr. Um, picking up a really, really big knockout win. Huge knee. And he needed that after coming off the Ultimate Fighter and looking like he was struggling a little bit. He looked much leaner, much faster, and uh, very relaxed. And uh, almost the first strike he threw was, was, was that knee which, which brought the knockout. And Nico Price, who we both sat and watched... At the uh, the Grosvenor Casino in Russell Square, um, only a few events back, it feels like. I think I think it might have been UFC two hundred seven, um, and we we sat and watched him get a win on his UFC debut. Uh, he got another win. He followed it up with another win against Alex Morona, who I thought was winning the fight, and then uh, Price just scored a huge late knockout um, and got the win. Really, really good performance from those two. That was UFC Fight Night in in uh, in Houston, Texas. Any other standouts for you, Sandy? Uh,
1: no, I mean you pretty much wrapped things up this side. the only thing I wanted to kind of say was uh, in regards to the Tisha Torres Beck Rawlings fight. Rawlings, yeah, another female fighter in the UFC um, who unfortunately is just too big for the weight class. You know, she tr- she struggled to make the um, uh, the 115 pound weight limit. She came in at 117 and a half pounds. Uh, they ended up making it a, a catch weight fight. But, uh, you know, it's back-to-back losses for Beck Rawlings. But, you know, you, someone like Rawlings and Valérie Le Tournoir and uh, Johan uh, Calderwood, you know, i oh got my, my Johanna's uh, mixed up there. Um, Jojo. You know, that's, yeah. Jojo. That's, that's three names right there who would very much benefit from a, a flyweight um, division. And, of course, the UFC haven't got one yet. They decided to go for the featherweight weight class instead which we're going to talk about in our next segment. Um, but uh, it's unfortunate. I mean, I, I don't know where she goes from here, whether she maybe perhaps goes back to Invicta um, and gets some you know, fights there, whether she'll get a, a route back to the UFC like Angela Hill did. M- maybe when she does return, there will be a flyweight division. Who knows? Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just a little bit unfortunate because, you know, she's a character. You know, uh, she she's an Aussie uh, and the UFC do go to Australia, you know, sometimes once, sometimes twice a year. And she's always somebody that you'd want to have a part um, of that particular fixture. Uh, and if anyone's been following her story, you know, she is a mother and she has sacrificed a hell of a lot. Uh, she's a single mother and um, she's put a lot of time, effort, energy and, and money um, into um, her last couple of training camps. And uh, unfortunately for her. Uh, she hasn't come up um with the the victories so it'll be interesting to see you know how her career develops from here on end
0: yeah definitely and i, I completely agree about the hundred and twenty five pound division i think that would that really i think that really would see some fighters in that in that strawweight division in particular who perhaps aren't quite fighting to their you know their full capabilities i think that would then see those fighters really producing the goods i think it would make for better fights uh, obviously it's healthier um, and what it also does is it allows some of those undersized fighters at 135 to look at dropping down. Um, and I think, you know, I, I just I just think it's a no-brainer move. You know, we've talked about it before. More divisions means more championship belts, which means more options for headliners and co-headliners across the year. Um, and uh, it just gives a bit more stardust to, to fight cards. But these things take a bit of time to plan and to put together. And fingers crossed we get to see that in the next 12 to 18 months because it will certainly help people like Beck Rawlins for sure. Uh, you talked about the uh, the weight class above or, or two classes above in fact because it's the featherweight division not the bantamweight division we're talking about next because that is the main event of UFC 208 which takes place this coming weekend from the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn, New York. Holly Holm taking on the Iron Lady Jermaine Durandamy for the inaugural UFC Women's Featherweight Championship of the World. 145 pounds. Holly Holm, who was always a big bantamweight, is going to be much bigger and stronger and more more comfortable at that weight class. Jermaine Durandamy is quite tall for bantamweight as well, so she will obviously um, have appreciated the ability to move up as well. Two strikers, but very different, Sandu.
1: Yeah, and I think this is a very interesting fight because in a perfect world, we would have seen Cyborg um, in this uh, inaugural featherweight title fight for the UFC, uh, and prior to her uh, USADA violation, it was a lot of posturing, a lot of back and forth, and when the fight would take place, and um, and who knows what else was going on behind the scenes. But eventually, the UFC and Chris Seiber couldn't come to terms, uh, and thank God they couldn't come to terms because had they booked that fight and started to put the promotional hustle and muscle behind it, and then she got flagged by USADA, that would have been a, a much bigger disaster. But what what they've got here is someone in Holly Holm, um, who is a, a proven draw, uh, coming off the back of that um, you know historic uh, obliteration of of Ronda Rousey, uh, going back about fourteen fifteen months now to November of twenty fifteen, and um, and although since then she's um, had a, had a couple of losses. She hasn't really lost too much of her appeal or star power, I don't think. I I still think outside of your your Misha Tate's and your Ronda Rousey, you, she's right up there um, as the next kind of well-known uh, female fighter, especially when it comes to mainstream media outlets and getting that attention. So, and I think this would be uh, quite the test to, to see how a couple of losses would affect her. Draw drawing power you know headlining a show um, and'll we'll, it'll be interesting to see how fight week plays out this week and uh, what kind of media attention she gets and in regards to jimmy Durandomy you know she's flying the dutch flag she 's flying the flag for all of europe uh, and it's fantastic to see yet another European uh, get into um, a title fight uh, in the UFC and she, if she wins that'll be number that'll be the fourth one you know we've got connor we've got yana Jacek, we've got Michael bisping. Jermaine Durandamy would uh, would be the fourth European uh, to have a UFC championship which is great for the sport and for the UFC's brand on this side of the world um, and it just helps everyone in the entire industry uh, I'm sure our friends in, in, in the Netherlands um, who cover the sport um, you know th- the interest that they're going to want to get and uh, the coverage that they're going to want to get and I'm sure you know the, the maybe the bigger mainstream analysts who aren't covering MMA will be approaching them because they're the experts on MMA so these these things can really impact how uh, the sport develops in their native country we saw what conor did for, for for mma in ireland uh, we've seen what michael bisping even well before he became a champion has done uh, over many many years uh, here in the uk and of course jane and an absolute superstar in poland so it's a very interesting fight i'm, I'm, I'm kind of you know at, at first when it was initially booked it didn't really kind of get my juices going um but now we're gonna start to see how things develop in fight week um, i'd really like to see uh, Jermaine um story told a little bit more uh, and hopefully in the various interviews that she conducts herself in this week we'll get to you know see her peel the onion a little bit more uh, and we'll see how things eventually develop but in terms of the actual fight itself I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be action packed. Like you said Simon, uh they come from different um striking disciplines and backgrounds, uh but they are, you know, world champions in their own right in in those uh striking combat sport arenas and and I'm sure they'll they'll be kind of bringing those skills to the fore come Saturday night.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, we've got different different uh striking styles, more traditional boxing mixed up with a few kicks against someone who is a seasoned Muay Thai world champion. Uh, at one stage, I think she won on a 37-fight win streak, which is just ridiculous. Um, and the thing with Jermaine Durandomy you, you talked about the uh, the media interest, and a friend of ours, Giovanni Chin, who runs the Epic MMA outlet over there in, in Holland, uh, he tweeted earlier today, actually, saying it was great to see how much mainstream media interest there is in another, in in over in the Netherlands for Jermaine Durandamy in this upcoming fight, so encouraging encouraging sounds coming coming from uh, our, our friend Geo that the sport is beginning to get a bit more shine over there. Traditionally a kickboxing country, of course, uh, when it comes to combat sports, MMA is gradually beginning to make a make make inroads, and obviously the uh, the event in Rotterdam. Last year was was a huge hit. The The event itself was, was awesome. The crowd reaction was incredible. And the biggest crowd reaction of the night was for Jermaine Durandamy. Alistair Overeem was in the main event. Jermaine Durandamy got the biggest ovation. Uh, that was noticeable. But she's taken a major, major step up uh, in opposition. She beat Anna Elmos in that fight. And uh, she's now taking on Holly Holm for a world championship. Uh, she'll be fired up for this one. I'm looking forward to that. It's interesting for Holly. She's on a two-fight losing streak, so she's going to be pretty motivated with or without a gold strap at the end of the uh, at the end of the rainbow. She she's just got to go in there and win uh, for the sake of her own her own career and her own selling power as a as a top-level UFC fighter. You start to lose three in a row, then you know question. You know, well, I mean, there's question marks already there, I suppose, but but now there really are Um, because the two fights the two fights that she's lost this is different now she's going into this as a huge favourite I think against Jermaine Durand or at least I would assume she's going to be a huge favourite and um, this is a fight that I don't think she can afford to lose so I'm looking forward to that that is a co-main event oh sorry the main event we don't know the full fight card in terms of the placement yet I don't think but I would assume the co-main event is is going to be formed by Anderson Silva and Derek Brunson uh, middleweight fight, technique versus power. Um, can Anderson silver roll back the years and score another spectacular knockout victory? Well, Derek Brunson likes to wave his chin around quite a lot, so you never know. It's possible. Uh, but the thing with Brunson is he does just blitz, attack people. And if Anderson Silva isn't on his game, he could get eaten up. So interesting because Brunson's been very gung-ho. Um, it counted against him, against Robert Whittaker last time out. Will it count against him against Anderson Silva this time? I'm looking forward to this. Uh, And just to see what what else Anderson Silva's got left in the tank, Sandu.
1: Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, Robert Whitaker, like you said, he's... uh, Sorry, um, Derek Brunson coming off that Robert Whitaker loss and and Anderson Silva in his last five fights, he's lost four of them and one was a no contest against Nick Diaz. Uh, You have to go back to October of 2012 uh, to find his last registered victory, which was over... Stefan Bonner, still remember that vicious knee to the body um, and, the, and the following punches that ended that particular fight. I don't know what we're going to get with Anderson Silva, Simon. I guess that's that's always a thing with him, isn't it? You just never know what you're going to get. Uh, life is like a box of chocolates, as, uh, <laughs> as uh, the famous quote goes from uh, Forrest Gump. And, um, you know, he's, he's over 40 professional fights, Simon. Uh, the guy's 41. Um he's got nothing to prove. I mean, you know, his legacy is 100% cemented, uh, but he's already talking about, you know, making another potential title run. He's already kind of having a few jabs at Bisping, trying to get that rematch. Um, but I think what he needs to do is just get a couple of wins together. That's what he needs to do. He needs to go back, um, to some, to some fundamentals, um, get a few wins put together. And I, and I think if I'm the UFC, I'm matchmaking Anson very carefully this year. Um, There is definitely a lack of star power and drawing power. I think you can definitely build Anderson back up to that godlike figure he once was, again, if you matchmake him in in the correct way. Um, And and I'm sure, you know, he's somebody that can jump around weight classes. You know, he's fought at light heavyweight before. You know, he's obviously, you know, fought at middleweight before. Um, And it's very interesting to actually... I I was noticing some of the the YouTube figures. So the UFC, they always... um, Release their countdown show in three parts on YouTube. Uh, they release the, the the show in its entirety as well, but they'll normally release um, uh, the the top three fights, which in this case is. Home versus Durandami, Anson Silva versus Derek Brunson, and uh, Jacques Array versus Tim Boach. And actually, it's Silva versus Brunson that's got the most views out of, out of, all, out of all of them, uh, which tells you exactly what you need to know in terms of Anson Silva and his drawing power. And I still think the, the, myth, the mythos and uh, the interest lies in what's going on in his life. Are we going to see the old Anderson? Is there still enough magic left in that bottle? Um, and I, I guess that's what the uh, the intrigue um, is here coming into Saturday night. He needs a win, Simon. I mean, if he, if he suffers yet another loss, I mean, uh, 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 as, as famous as, 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 as a star, as a bigger star that he is for the UFC, losing five fights, I mean, what do you do with that in the UFC, you know?
0: Yeah. No, you're dead right. I think, and you know, we've spoken about the light heavyweight division needing some star power then I don't think it's a ridiculous suggestion to pitch him in there the thing is once you get to some of those guys at the top of the there's some big lads in that light heavyweight division silver's a big middleweight but at light heavyweight he certainly won't be uh, he certainly won't be the biggest dog in that in 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 that division so it's an interesting especially at the age of 41 as well being hit by some big heavy guys you might not fancy that now at this stage of his career but um I thought we should have moved up there ages ago to be honest but He's got Derek Brunson here. This is this is really sort of sink or swim territory for for both guys. Really, I mean, Brunson needs needs a marquee win to keep him keep him in the conversation. He had a big opportunity against Robert Whittaker, and from a tactical point of view, fought terribly and and got got punished for it. Um, and now he's got the gift, if you like, of a fight with an all time great who. You know, yeah, he's he's on a losing streak. He's on a losing streak, but the people he's lost to are world champions. Yeah. Um, so if Derek Brunson can put him away, then that obviously you know he he, he gets a bit of shine off that. So if he can get himself a, a stoppage win over the Spider, then all of a sudden that gives him the ability to then push on himself. So really interested to see what happens there. Anderson Silva obviously gunning for a middleweight title shot. If he's going to get one, A, he's going to have to beat Derek Brunson. And B, he's going to have to elbow out of the way a good friend of his who is also fighting on this card. And you just mentioned him, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who is taking on the barbarian Tim Boach. This was a fight that raised a lot of eyebrows when it was announced uh, on social media. I get it. I completely understand, A, why the fight was made, and B, why all the eyebrows were raised as well. The eyebrows are raised because... Why is Jack Aray fighting Tim boats Why is he not fighting a higher-ranked guy? Why is he not fighting for the belt or a number-one contender fight? Those fights are tied up. Those fights are either tied up or the fighters involved are injured. I mean, Luke Rockhold being injured doesn't help. Uh, Chris Weidman's currently serving a medical suspension right now, I believe, After still after the Oro Romero fight. So,
1: well, Weidman's booked against Masasi, isn't he?
0: He is, but I believe he's on suspension. or, or He might have just come off suspension. So they, I don't think they could have booked him on this. So I think with that in mind, Jacare, Sousa, they didn't have an, an enormous amount of options for him and they would have needed someone who would have been at least a credible opponent. But by the same token, it's also an opponent that you would expect Jacare to deal with. Um, and I think Tim Boach kind of fits that. Boach, on his day, is very, very dangerous. And he showed it in uh, in, in New York at Madison Square Garden with an incredible performance. Big knockout in uh, in Madison Square Garden. But he's got Jack Array this time. And, and Jack Array is, 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 a, is as dangerous as they come in middleweight. Probably the best fighter in that division who hasn't had a title shot yet. Um, and I think this is this is the u f c putting him on a holding pattern. I think if it's a case of beat Tim Boch, stay in the conversation, then you're next. That would be my my take on the situation, but obviously you can't be looking past you know Tim Boach. you just have to look at his win in New York to see you cannot you cannot sleep on this guy because if you do you'll be the ones doing the sleeping you know he you know you'll be you'll be out on the canvas so uh, interesting fight, but it's 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 an obstacle that that Jack Ray needs to overcome.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a fight that keeps him busy, like you said, Simon. Um, keeps him active um, and keeps him in the in the public limelight. Uh, keeps him Keeps him ticking along in that division. Like you said, uh, the title fight is uh, totally wrapped up and tied up at the moment. Um, it'll be Romero's um, fight um, against Michael Bisping. Um, you know, Weidman's tied up with Nassasi. Luke Rockhold's injured, like you said. And what I what I would love to see Jacare do, if he wins, of course, is get on that microphone and make some bloody noise. You know, I think, you know, he, I think he kind of uh, almost um, feels like he's become a little bit of a victim with uh, the current structure of the UFC because, based on meritocracy alone, he should have received a title shot a while ago. Yep. Right. But uh, that's just not the way the world works in the UFC. Um, this is the the fight game. It's the hype game. It's a, a, a sport for entertainment. So, uh, and I think you may need to take a little leaf out of your Romero's book, who did a, a fantastic job in New York, both in his performance against Wyden but also uh, on the microphone. So, if things go well for Jacare, uh, I would, I hope, and I would like to see him take a full advantage of the post fight interview. But Tim Boach is there to play the spoiler. You know, and, and and if anyone can do it, it is Tim on his On any given day, he can definitely spark your lights out 100%. And, uh, and wouldn't that be something? If he can get a win over Jacques array uh, and then he gets on the microphone and maybe calls out the winner of Weidman-Massassi or maybe says, hey, Luke Rockhold, when you're back from injury, I'll be waiting for you, something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, he's in, he's going to be inserting himself into that top four, top five picture. So it's, it's a tasty fight. But I definitely, 100% certainly expect Jacare to come out the victor here.
0: Yeah, I think most people do. I think, as I say, it's, it's, it's going to be a tricky obstacle for him to overcome, but one that I think you know, the overwhelming majority of us are going to expect him to uh, to accomplish. Two other fights on this fight card. I, I assume they're both going to be on the main card. It's possible one of them might end up headlining the prelims. Glover Teixeira versus Jared Canonier and Dustin Poirier versus Jim Miller. I think the fight of the night is going to come from one of these two. Um, Glover Teixeira loves to stand and trade. It didn't go his way against Anthony Rumble Johnson, as we all know. Jared Cannonier has, has, has really started to establish himself as a, as a real threat at 205 pounds. Um, put on a, a, a barn burner of a fight against uh, Ion Kutalaba last time. Kutalaba, uh, not the most well-known name. You'll know who he is because he weighed in, dressed uh, full up, full full uh, body paint like the Incredible Hulk. Um, and uh, Jared Cononier put on a great fight with him, uh, scored a big knockout in his previous outing as well. I think we're going to see two big strong 205ers going head to head and just throwing leather. And uh, it could it could turn into being a, a bit of a classic. And uh, the fight that if I was putting money down on a fight of the night. Dustin Poirier versus Jim Miller at 155 just it just seems ready made as a, as a as a as a night opener on the main card or maybe the uh, the top of the prelims Jim Miller always brings it Dustin Poirier one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC that's going to be an outstanding matchup if you were putting your money down on on the uh, Poirier and Miller who would you who who would you be betting on Sandu?
1: I think Miller's having a little bit of a late career resurgence at the moment. Um, And it it all goes back to uh, UFC 200 last summer um, when he got a a fantastic victory over Takenori Gomi. He followed that up with uh, another emphatic win. Well, actually, it wasn't emphatic. It was a bit of a a split decision. It could have gone either way against Joe Lozon. But an emphatic win over Thiago Alves followed that at UFC 205. He's got a knack of always popping up. Some of these big marquee blockbuster events does uh, does old Jim Miller, and um, and I think listen if he gets a win over Dustin Poirier, and and I think we've all kind of said this in the past, Poirier is a much much better fire at lightweight than he was at featherweight. It's definitely the right weight class for him. Things didn't go his way last September when he fought Michael Johnson. Um, he got knocked out there. But um, I fancy Jim Miller here. So I, like I said, I think I've, uh, he's got this late career resurgence. He's he's pretty much you know well rounded, good everywhere. And uh, and he's coming off three back-to-back wins, and you know he must be oozing confidence at the moment. Um, but yeah, if you're going to put uh, some money down on, on a fight of the night, that is definitely the scrap to put it down on.
0: Definitely. Well, I'm going I'm to I'm go opposite you on this one because I'm picking Dustin Poirier to win this. Um, I'm, I've always been uh, a big admirer of, of the way he goes about his work in the Octagon. Um, he's got that level of intensity that you want to see from a from a from a UFC star, and I think. He, he's one of those. He's just a gnat below championship contention. You know, he just he's been he's come close on a couple of occasions, and it's just not quite worked for him both at, at featherweight and now, obviously, with that with that fight at lightweight where he he, uh, he got stopped by Michael Johnson in a fight that a lot of people, myself included, were picking Poirier to win. And I think the thinking then was if you got past him, then he really was right up there in in the mix. And uh, I know even back then he was talking about. If, if Conor McGregor joins the division, he wants a rematch and all this sort of stuff. So, uh, that obviously has gone by the wayside somewhat. But, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be an outstanding match. Uh, UFC 208, home versus Durandamy. Barkley sent it in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, that should be a slightly earlier start than usual for us, for us Brits, fingers crossed. But it'd be an East Coast card. Um, so... We'll we'll put the uh, we'll put the broadcast times out on our on our social media at some point. I'm sure. Uh, make sure you follow at Sandu MMA and at Simon Head. I'm sure one or both of us will be uh, will be putting the information out between now and fight night. That was our, our preview of what's coming up this weekend. Uh, this isn't going to be a two hour epic this week. I'm sure you'll be glad to know because uh, it's Q and A time, Mr. Sandu. Um, I put out a call for questions this afternoon, you put out a call for questions I think earlier this morning and uh, we've had we've had a few so uh, let's see if we can rattle through them and, and get as many of them answered as we can before it's time to go.
1: Yeah absolutely, uh, let's get right to it. Stuart Tuckwell tweets in and says with a lack of big names on the pay-per-view uh, events at the moment, was it a mistake to have Dillashaw and Garbrandt doing the ultimate fire? I can see where he's coming from, I can definitely see where he's coming from and I think uh, we'll both agree that we would much rather see this fight sooner rather than later. But I can understand it from the UFC's perspective. They need to fill um, these tough seasons. They do two a year. Uh, they try and get coaches to have a rivalry, have some beef, so that it kind of almost tell uh, you know is providing a compelling story over the course of the eight, ten, twelve episodes, um, and almost gives the season some sort of narrative and arc heading into their fight sometime in the summer. So I understand exactly where, where, where Stuart is coming from, um, but I also, yeah, like I said, um, I think you need – and I think that actually for the first time in a long time, I think um, this particular rivalry um, is perfectly made for the show. I think with the Uriah Faber factor and the Dwayne Ludwig factor, all of these elements being available – um, in the cast for the show, as the head coaches, um, it's got all the elements of com- of a combustible uh, situation there. And and if you're into the reality of reality TV show and the drama that comes along with it, I'm sure there'll be plenty of that over the course of the season. So. Si.
0: Yeah, and the other thing, of course, is the Ultimate Fighter. Is it's not a. It's there's no secret. It's it's kind of on its last legs now as a as a as a format. It's been going for. It's been going for a long time now, and it's beginning to get a bit tired. And in order to keep interest levels up, the UFC need to do need to do something with it. Obviously, they tried to do uh, a world championship uh, elimination tournament with uh, the strawweights when they introduced that. They did a tournament again uh, to, to earn a shot at Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson most recently. But now, obviously, they're going back to the the fact that we've got a fight here. It's a world championship fight. It's going to happen at the end of it between the two coaches. The two coaches have got some previous having trained together. Um, And uh, yeah, you know, I think Justin Buckholz recently said that he has video footage of Cody Garbrandt knocking TJ Dillashaw out in sparring. Um, Whether we'll get to see that at some point during the season, I wonder. Um, But uh, yeah, there's, there's rivalry already there. Everything is in place. And what it does is, I think it just adds another compelling strand to a to a show that really needs a bit of a, a you know a bit of heat put under it. So um, I'm certainly looking forward to. It. I'm also looking forward to the whole comeback element to it as well. With the you know welterweight fighters who have had a go at tough before, uh, including one current UFC welterweight, they're all going to be back in the mix. So we're going to see some familiar faces hopefully, and uh, that hopefully will make it a little bit more watchable and a bit more compelling. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that title fight in, 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 in a couple of weeks' time, to be honest with you, but I understand why they've done it.
1: Paul James tweets in and says, Out of the British fighters, who has the best chance of being our next champion? You can go for that one first, side.
0: Well, are we talking just in the UFC, or are we talking Bellator? Or, you Because, know, I mean, if you're talking Bellator, then Michael Venn and Paige and Paul Daly are, are both probably one big win, possibly against the other one. Uh, away from uh, a shot, a shot at the Bellator world title. Um, MVP. If you're talking about star power, MVP for me stands head and shoulders above everybody from from the UK. He's just, he's got the it factor. Um, I would love to see him on the biggest stage possible, fighting for world championships. And uh, I don't think it will be that long before we see him given the opportunity. So, if you're talking Bellator, then I think he's it's him. And or Paul Daly. If, if if we're talking about the UFC, it gets a bit trickier because I think, you know, the British guys are in the UFC right now. They're either at veteran stage, or we've got guys who are relatively young and are still looking to make their way up. So you've got people like Arnold Allen, who I think has got a lot of upside. Martin Diakiese has got a lot of upside. Can they work their way up to world championship level? I think there is a, I think there's a long way for them to go. Before they get there, but they're you know they're on that road. Jimmy the poster boy Manoa is in a is in a decent spot in that UFC light heavyweight division. He's got a huge knockout win um, in his last fight against Ivan Say Prue. He's fighting Corey Anderson in the main event in London. If he can repeat the trick against him, all of a sudden he becomes a potential championship contender. But he's in a he's in a relatively thin division. But the guys at the sharp end are among the best anywhere in any weight class. You know, Anthony Rumble Johnson, Daniel Cormier, John Jones. So that's a tough, that's a tough trio to sort of break through and become a world champion. So it's it's kind of tricky. If you want a bit of a a bit of a left field suggestion, then keep an eye on Paddy Pimblett because he's not in the UFC yet, but he's young, he's talented, Um, he's got the he's got the a little bit of that stardust uh, you know about him when it comes to crowd following and. If he gets in the UFC and gets a bit of uh, a bit of momentum behind him, you never know. You never know. He might be the guy. So it's tough right now because of the sort of where everybody is in their career. There isn't an obvious pick, I don't think, when it comes to the UFC.
1: Yeah, and I completely uh, concur with everything you said there, Simon. There's no need for me to regurgitate anything, but you pretty much hit the nail on the head. The only other person um, that I probably wanted to throw in the hat there is Tom Brees. Uh, Tom Breeze is making his middleweight debut um, in London against Oluwale Bamboze, a really tough competitor at the middleweight division. It'll be interesting to see uh, Breeze's performance having not, now that he doesn't have to cut the extra weight, you know, he should, you know, uh, be firing on all cylinders, be very healthy and, you know, be able to be uh, as explosive as he can be uh, for the full 15 minutes. So um, that's just another name that I want to throw into the hat there. But a lot of potential prospects within the, the British contingent, both in Bellator and the UFC. And like you said, Simon, you've got Jimmy Manuel. He's um, the guy that's most further afield in terms of rankings, in terms of um, you know fighting in a main event for the UFC. So, um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers everyone. Uh, Raz tweets in and says, Is it time the UFC bring back Paul Daly and look at signing MVP. I think it's a little tricky at the moment. Um, I think there perhaps was a period of time where Dana White was in conversation with Paul Daly to potentially bring him back and it didn't transpire. And now he's with Bellator. he's in his mid-30s. I I can see him seeing out the rest of his uh, pro MMA days with Scott Coker, uh, a promoter he likes to work for and likes to work with. And, um, and I think the way they've kind of put the promotional hustle and muscle behind him, I think he likes that. And, um, and I think he's a star in their welterweight division. He, he, he's definitely someone that can like main event shows like he did last uh, summer here in London. Um, MVP, he's a little younger um, than, than Paul Daly, but not too, too much younger. He's 31. Daly's 33. And every time I speak to Michael about this, and I don't know, maybe, Simon, you probably had a, a similar experience he just likes the way bellator do things he likes the um the promotion he likes the big stage and the big uh ramp um he likes to be able to wear whatever sponsors he wants to he likes to have his own i mean his his actual walkout song is a song that him and his friends have put together he likes to he likes to pull the the bells and whistles i can't see him um you know walk in just a, a very uniform reebok attire for the ufc at the same time he's always dropping a few hints here and there saying he wants to fight the best in the world and he wants to be recognized as uh, as, as one of the best in the world uh, and for most people that does mean fighting in the ufc and you know winning a ufc championship belt um Again, I go back to something I said I mentioned earlier on. The UFC, you know, they are trimming the fat at the moment. At the moment, they're in a, it's still a transitional period where not only are they letting executives um, go, um, they're letting fighters go. They're letting fighters see out their contracts and not resigning them, um, or just giving them, a, uh, you know, the, their best offer um, and not being able to match perhaps what Bellator um, are providing. Uh, the case in point being Ryan Bader. I've got a funny feeling that I think Michael Bennett Page is going to end up being Bellator's poster boy um, for the foreseeable future. I think they're, they're not going to want to let go of him even when his contract expires. I think he could potentially, for, for the long term, be one of the most you know, highest paid um, fighters under the Bellator roster considering how much effort and time they've already put into him. If you go to the Bellator YouTube page, the cyborg santos knockout and pokemon style celebration is their number one viewed video on youtube and i'm saying number one viewed by a good few million so he's definitely got his finger on the pulse when it comes to social media they've had him fly over to la quite a few times and do some bits and pieces over the overall viacom umbrella where there are some other media opportunities so of course, you know, would we like to see these Brits fight on the bigger stage in the UFC and be able to, you know, fantasy match make them against some of the, the best welterweight talent in the UFC? Of course. But don't forget, Rory McDonald is now signed with Bellator, right? So slowly but surely, depending on who becomes available in the free agency market, we may finally start to see some of these fantasy fights um, within the Bellator Um, promotion so that's my long-winded answer sorry Simon to take up too much time there Uh, but to the question I mean again just to kind of get your thoughts on this too you know would you like to see the UFC bring back Paul Daly and MVP and do you think it's likely
0: well the answer to the first question yeah of course I would I think I think having both those guys fighting on 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 the biggest stage in the sport I think would be great do I think it will happen no I don't I think uh, you know for all the reasons you've just you, you just explained there with MVP the guy's a showman. He's a showman. And the one thing with the way that the way the UFC is set up at the moment, it isn't really geared up. If, if, if you want to be a showman, uh, Conor McGregor breaks the mold and gets away with it. Um, but even he has to walk to the octagon, uh, at a, at a prescribed time at, in, in, in a, in, a, in, a, in a, a pre-approved set of kit. Um, and, uh, Yeah, I I I think I think MVP he's he's a bit of a throwback to sort of some of the you know, Hector Macho Camacho, for any old school boxing fans. Look him up. Uh, people like him, Dela Hoya back in the day, where you know, these guys these guys were, were superstars and when they when they emerged from the tunnel or walked down the ramp you know, they they look like superstars, and you know they all, they all had their own swag going on, and you know it, MVP is one of those, and I think it's the one thing that I think I'd love to see the UFC change, and obviously they're contractually tied in some respects, but that individuality is the one thing that the UFC could really do with bringing back. But at the moment, Bellator I think is a perfect place for Michael Venom Page at this point in his career. Um, the other thing, of course, is I'm sure he has a matching clause in his contract. So, and and Bellator, um, you know, I don't think they're shy of cash. So, even if he allowed his contract to run, uh, tested free agency and got a stupendous offer from the UFC, I could still see a, a scenario where he remained with Bellator, as as their highest paid star, with all the creative control that he wanted over his own brand, and and being able to. To be MVP, not just Michael Page from London, but to be MVP, I think uh, having that that freedom, I think, suits him. Um, if he were to clean out the Bellator welterweight division, if he were to go in there, blitz Koreshkov, destroy Rory Macdonald, and have basically have no more challenges left to conquer, then I think we're into a different a different conversation. Um, but right now, I think Bellator is a good spot for him.
1: Paul Collins tweets in and says, question, is Jimmy versus Corey big enough for London main event? I feel Jimmy is, but Corey isn't. Well, look, we went and we discussed this to death on on last week's um, episode. I think me and Simon made our feelings um, quite clear on the matter. But just to kind of quickly go over over it one more time, just to answer the question, Um, Jimmy 100 percent, he's been there before. He's a Londoner. He's been in the main event. And like I said, I think, you know. and if I'm the UFC, this is the way I'm building it. You've got to build around the story of this being a redemption situation for Jimmy. He fought in the main event before against Alexander Gustafsson. It didn't go his way. This is his second chance to perform in front of his friends and family and fellow Londoners in a main event um, spotlight. He's ranked number five. This could potentially propel him into a title shot. That's the promotional angle. I haven't seen that yet. But they've got some time. They've got some time to hopefully tell that story. With Corey Anderson, uh, I perhaps do agree um, with with Paul here. Um, I don't think he's um, uh, in that main event uh, kind of picture just yet to main event or headline shows. But considering where we currently are, um, with the number of events that we have and with the, uh, the available talent that the UFC has to pick from, um, you know, Sometimes you will get opportunities. Case in point, Jermaine Durandami getting a title shot after just a few fights in the UFC uh, in in, the, in a brand new weight class. Sometimes opportunity knocks and for Corey Anderson, opportunity is knocking big time here um, getting a main event um, slot against Emmanuel in London. He has the opportunity to play the spoiler and for him, he has to really take this opportunity to again express his personality, level up a little bit more both in and out of the octagon. So, I don't think there's too much more that could be potentially said about the situation, Simon. I don't know how much more you want to add to to that considering we already spoke about it last week, but have your feelings changed? Do you have anything perhaps more to add regarding that particular main event and the uh, the two fighters involved?
0: No, I don't think so. I mean, the, you know, the only, the only things I would say are I think the fight was made thinking it would be a co-main event. I think if they were told, put Jimmy Manuel in the main event, they they maybe would have wanted a slightly different opponent, maybe a Shogun who or someone like that who has perhaps a little bit more star power. Although Corey Anderson is probably going to be a bigger test. So um, I just think Corey Anderson, while being an incredibly dangerous contender, someone who's rising up the ranks, he hasn't got that 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 star power that that excites people yet. Um, and his fighting style is is very much of that ilk as well. He's he's he's, he's more of a grinding wrestler than someone who's going to stand there and trade shots. And of course, you know, we are a, a boxing savvy nation. You know, our, our combat sport of choice, historically, has been boxing. So the stand-up element of MMA is where people really get switched on the most. So if you've, you've now got boxer versus wrestler, which is effectively what you have, if, if, if you're breaking the styles down to, to brass tacks, then it just makes it a little bit less appealing for your casual mixed martial arts fan and for those hardcore fans they were obviously hoping for a slightly higher higher grade main event jimmy against a bigger higher ranked opponent i'm sure would have would have made them happy so uh but yeah one thing i did mention last week i suggested that the ufc go out talk to uh ucmma and get some old school fight footage and Lo and behold, the UFC on social media and a big thank you to Dan Barnes who tweeted me this week to say, Sire, they must listen to the show. Look what they've made. And he tweeted me the, uh, the promo video that the UFC have made of Jimmy Manoa. And sure enough, the first portion of the video is Manoa just destroying people uh, under the uh, Ultimate Challenge MMA banner that, that really, really built him and built his name before he eventually moved up to the UFC. So uh, maybe they do listen to us, Sandy. Who knows? We should start matchmaking a bit more often.
1: Maybe we should uh, create a brand new segment moving forward uh, and, see, <laughs> and see what eventually develops down the road. Yeah. Um, right, so Ross, I might butcher this, Finlayson, Ross Finlayson, Finlayson, yeah. Finlayson yeah. tweets in and says, Do you think, oh, no, sorry, I'm skip, I'm jumping ahead of myself here. Sorry, before that, I need to get uh, Amir's question. And Arme says, thoughts on Bellator trying to make Semtex versus MVP for their London card. Oh, in brackets, In brackets, he says, a main event UK fans deserve. Would we like to see it? you damn right we would. Are they trying to make the fight? Yes, they are. I spoke to Bellator PR staff over the weekend, and uh, it is a fight that they were you know, trying to make. And they put a few feelers out. No contracts were issued, despite what you may see on social media. Um, despite what reports other people may have read from a few other sites, um, it's not the case whatsoever. MVP versus Paul Daly is not happening in London this May. The, the promotion are bringing um, an event to London this May. It's going to be held at the SSC Arena in Wembley, which I think is the right move for them. I think the O2 last summer was a little bit too ambitious. I say that, but unfortunately, we we don't know how things might have gone with Kimbo Slice in the original main event, and we don't know how much of a draw and how much pulling power he may may have been able to, you know, provide the promotion being in London yeah. and the fact that he passed away before that. We do, we'll just never know. But I think for the second outing, I think the SSC in Wembley is the ideal arena, and I think with the right fights, they could very well sell that out. Now, I spoke to Paul Daly um, on Sunday morning. And he flat out denied the fact that he was fighting Michael Venom Page in London. Can things change? Of course they can. Um, I think it's just down to a little bit of posturing. I think it's down to money. Uh, Daly has since gone on his Facebook, his official Facebook page, and mentioned that he has a fight in place now. And in his words, described the opponent as a blood and guts type of warrior, which immediately um, makes you think of somebody... Like a Koreshko, who knows, maybe even a Rory McDonald. You know, Paul Daly did call out Rory McDonald um, after his win against Brennan Ward. Um, So the fact that this fight might take place uh, or the card in London might take place in May, that could work well for Rory McDonald's um, supposed uh, time frame uh, for his debut. He was actually supposed to fight um, in London for the UFC not too long ago. And he actually said that he would love to fight in London one day. So that might tick one of his boxes. Um, and to get a, a, a first fight, just to kind of get his feet wet again um, against a, a big marquee name like Paul Daly might just set him up nicely for a future title shot. But in regards to the actual fight itself, Simon, what a fantastic fight that that can be and what could be. And I think one day will be with two of the best of Britain's talent on display, Michael Venom Page ben- ben- and Paul Daly. What are your thoughts on... Bellator, hopefully trying to get that one done somewhere down the road.
0: I'd love to see it, and I'd love to see it on these shores as well. Mm. I think, yeah, I think it would be a wasted opportunity to have it anywhere else. I think to have two British guys competing at the highest level, uh, going head to head in a main event of a major mixed martial arts promotion on home soil, I think would would, would be would be awesome. Um, it's something we haven't really seen before in 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 the UK, so. Obviously, the domestic promotions have, have put on some big shows in the past. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of world championship level, we haven't seen it. So, or sort of global level events, then we haven't seen it. So, that would be fantastic to see. I think the important thing, if you did it, would be to give it a run up. I think, you know, you, you really do need to announce it early and sell the story and just tell that story constantly over a two, three month period. And then hold the event, and I think, I think it would be a, an absolute home run for Bellator, especially if you if if, if you put other entertaining fights on the card. Um, I think maybe maybe to be honest, now is probably the time to do the fight because either one of them could find themselves in there with a with, with a top contender, and such is the nature of this sport. Things don't always go according to plan. You know, Michael Venom Page's last performance wasn't what people expected from him. Um, Paul Daly, uh, when he when you know when he fought in London, it didn't go his way. So, you know, all these things you have to bear in mind. Sometimes you have to strike when the iron's hot. I'd be delighted if they did make that fight for London. I think Rory versus Daly makes more sense to Bellator as a whole because what you're doing is, if Rory loses, it's his first fight you know, then it it doesn't completely damage him. Um if Daly loses they still have a, a, a strong British contender in, in in the division and Daly's bounced back before as well. So I think it makes sense to do it from a promotional standpoint. But as a Brit of course I'd love to see Daly versus Michael Vernon Page. I think I think that would be outstanding. It'd be like the Ben Eubank of uh, of, of British mixed martial arts. I think it would be awesome.
1: Yeah, it'd be a civil war or a turf war, the Battle of Britain. Uh, Ross Finlayson uh, or Finlayson um, says, "Do you think Andrade is the one to dethrone Joanna based on what we've seen of her at 115 so far?" I kind of mentioned this earlier on uh, in the show. I- I'm picking a Joanna to to win that fight. I think the five fight, the five round uh, fight experience that she's got, it will will pay uh, dividends for her in the the actual contest. I think Andrade is quite a muscular fighter, and it'll be interesting to see how her body holds up um, with the the lactic acid building up over the course of 25 minutes. Um, And and I think Joanna Janjajic has proven uh, time and time again um, she's got the gas tank to go the full 25 um, at a very high level. Uh, And also, I think, you know, Andrade has fought in some big shows, but... And the main event against and Janjic is a, is a whole other level. You know, Johanna's now fought in Madison Square Garden, for God's sakes, you know. Um, but I guess to spin the, uh, the, the the question a little bit around to you, Simon, if Andrade is going to get it done, what is going to be her keys to victory, do you think?
0: I think if she gets it done, she gets it done early by overwhelming Joanna with, 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 with heavy shots. Um, I... I guess she could do it on the mat with Jiu-Jitsu, but I, I don't think that's the way she goes about her business. I think she could potentially catch Joanna cold. I suppose uh, blitz her early on and just back her up against the fence and hit her with some heavy stuff and and hurt her early. Um, Carolina caught Joanna when they when when they fought, but it was it was it was weird because Carolina landed a great shot, but then stood back, whereas what she needed to do was really pour it on, and she didn't really do it. I think uh, I think if Jessica and sees any blood in the water, smells any blood in the water, she's going to be all over Ioannee and Jacek. So I think that's going to be the you know the main thing. It's it's kind of like the Mike Tyson thing, isn't it? Is you know the earlier in the fight is, 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 is where you know the greatest danger is, and I think uh, you know we've seen Ioannee and Jacek's fights in the past. She sometimes doesn't start the quickest. She tends to build her way into fights, and she really, you know, you, you look at the Claudia gadella fight. Claudia had the better of the opening couple of rounds, and then Joanna found a found a second wind, and then started to pull away. Obviously, you know, broke broke back the deficit, and then went on and won the fight down the stretch. I think against someone like Jessica against someone like Jessica Andraj, the danger isn't so much about losing rounds early. Uh, I think it's about getting hurt early because she's such a she's such a destructive striker. So I think that's it. Just don't get caught early. If she doesn't get caught early, I fancy Joanna to to cruise to a decision or maybe a late stoppage.
1: Riot, a.k.a. Rio T, tweets in and says, Why are fans getting pissed at the UFC card and main event in England, yet same people are hyped over daily versus MVP well look we've already discussed the fact that daily versus MPP MVP um, isn't going to happen uh, barring an absolute miracle uh, in some behind the scenes negotiation tactics uh, on the on behalf of Paul Daly um, look I think at the end of the day um, there might be a lot of fans out there that might feel a little bit burnt by the UFC here that may have already bought tickets um, not knowing in advance what the actual main event was going to be uh, thinking that there were still you know um, like Uh, Hanson Silva versus Michael Bisping, uh, a a main event to be announced um, in the coming days and weeks. Um, And they'd put their kind of uh, loyalty um, into the UFC brand rather than uh, an actual main event. Whereas I think with Bellator, their brand just isn't as powerful or as strong as the UFC. So they need to, and they have to, put their top billing um, headline act uh, in the forefront to get those tickets sold, so it's it's a different model uh, in 2017 where we currently are in the MMA world with regards to uh, brand awareness and brand recognition when it comes to the UFC uh, and to Bellator. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm sure Simon, you've had uh, your timeline filled with uh, some disgruntled British MMA fans who perhaps have bought UFC tickets um, for the London card. Um, and it'll, it remains to be seen, you know, what Bellator put together uh, for this May show. You and me will both be there on Thursday. They've got a press conference. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll do a special podcast there or maybe we'll just recap it um, next Monday. Uh, but, you know, th- what I do know is that they are thinking about bringing some of their their biggest stars uh, for that press conference, I mean, last summer, Simon, you know, you remember, you were there. They had Lennox Lewis there. They 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 had you know all their big hitters there. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I mean, what's your take on the overall uh, fan reaction to the the UFC London card and uh, potentially what Bellator might be bringing to the table this year as well for the UK?
0: Well, I think if you like, you the, the ask the question about daily versus. Uh, page. if we suspend disbelief for a second and if we just work on the basis that that fight is actually going to happen in London let's just assume for a minute that it is that's a battle between two British guys two British stars who have strong fan bases that is immediately a completely different kettle of fish to Jimmy Manoa versus Corey Anderson Because yeah. Jimmy Manoa is a British fighter with a strong fan base Corey Anderson isn't and he's not that exciting a fighter either If we're being brutally honest, he's good. He's very, very good, but he's not a seat filler. He might be in his hometown, but in London, nah, he's not. You know, the reaction on social media tells you that. That's not a disrespectful thing to say. It's just truth, right? It's just the way it is. Um, Now, so there's that. But where the where 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 the difference here is, people are just looking at the top the top line of the fight card. You might have. Paul Daly versus Michael Venom Page, but the fights underneath, the fans who are coming might not be able to pick most of them out of a lineup because Bellator is a growing, developing brand. They're a growing, developing promotion, and they're hosting a lot of up-and-coming talent who, in the main, haven't competed on this side of the pond and haven't competed on live television on this uh, on you know lot on, on British live television. So the, the, even the names on the undercard aren't going to be known that well. Whereas the UFC in London have stacked the card with names that British fight fans will know. fight fan, uh, Names that British fight fans have paid money to watch at some point, And names that people have been cheering on on the telly because they're fighting on BT Sport on a regular basis. So it's the business models are different. The position of the two brands is completely different. If you're looking at it, just co- uh, main event versus main event, fine. But look at the overall product. You buy a ticket to go to go to an event, if you're buying it purely on the basis of the main event, then good luck to you, right? But you're missing it. You know, you're know, you missing the point, if that's the case. The, you know, the main event sells the most tickets in the main, but there's a whole lot more beneath You know, to watch and enjoy. So I think what the USC have done, they've put together a very strong card full of British talent, and it hasn't quite got that main event that people were hoping for. If Bellator were to put on Michael Venom Page versus Paul Daly... People will be doing cartwheels in the street because it's a great fight. Everyone will be excited for it. Will they? Will they be excited for the co-main event or the third, third event or the you know the preliminaries? You know, it's it's apples and oranges, mate. That's I, I you know, I think if you're an MMA fan and you're really really into it and you can you can see it for what it is, I think you can spot the difference between the two. And there's there's there's, there's stuff to enjoy on both sides. So, yeah, that's just... But that's why I think British fans are... Sometimes, it's, you know, sometimes the criticism is a little misplaced because you look at what else could be put on in its place and it isn't normally better.
1: Sonny D'Angelo, um gives us the final question for this week's show and it's another Bellator-related question. A sign of the times, perhaps. Um, and it's a bit of a follow-on from the last question. He says, Bellator have a chance of giving us a more star-packed card than the UFC, what do you reckon? I might just rephrase this question a little bit. I think now with the talent that Bellator have, like for like on any given Friday or Saturday, whatever the day of the week you want to put your card on, they've got enough star power now to rival some of the best athletes and the stars in terms of drawing power that the UFC have. I mean, if you look at uh, what UFC have got right now in their roster, Fedor Milianenko, Chael Sonnen. You've got, still got Benson Henderson. You've got your MVPs and Paul Daly's. You've got Ryan Bader. Uh, uh, obviously, it's not official just yet, but that should be um, official pretty soon. You've got Rory McDonald, right? That's just to name a few from the top of my head, right? If you were to um, put on um, perhaps a, an annual Super Show, for example, you've got enough there for such a solid, packed main card that that could rival any top five fights in the ufc the difference is the ufc can do that every month Correct. the ufc can do that consistently time and time and time again whereas perhaps if the if bellator was going to draw and take all of their superstars they could maybe put on that type of show once or twice a year and that's the difference and like you mentioned in the, in the previous question simon in terms of the depth of the entire roster the ufc could like you did, like they did with the UFC 200, they could put a Jim Miller on the UFC Fight Pass prelims. First you know what I mean? fight of
0: the night, that was, wasn't it? Exactly,
1: but yeah, I mean, that's that's my answer to that question. Yeah. And, you know, do you have a different take or? No, no, I'm patient? I'm
0: totally with you. It's all about strength and depth and 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 in saying, that, in, in saying that, it is in no way a criticism of what Bellator are doing. I think they're building their brand very well. I think they're being they're being pretty sensible with the way they're going about it. But to 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 Compare them directly to the UFC is is kind of unfair because what they're doing is that you know they are they are, they're at a completely different stage of development to the UFC. They 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 have a, they have a big strong budget, much like the UFC does, but they're they're coming at it relatively as a young upstart in the sport, if that makes sense. And you know they've they changed their business model away from the tournament format to the the more traditional fight card format, and and. You know they're, they're they're looking to build their own stars, and maybe in ten, five, ten years time, they might be neck and neck with the UFC if they're well if, if if they're well managed. You know who knows? But right now, they're on their own path and doing things their own way. And it's it's an easy, lazy thing to do to do head to head comparisons between the two, but it's kind of unfair, I think, because they don't have that strength and depth.
1: And we'll see how the free agency market ends up panning out. In the foreseeable future, yep. because uh, they certainly are keen to be adding to their roster. You still got the likes of Lorenz Larkin out there on the free agency market, and like I mentioned a few times on today's show, the UFC are trimming the fat, so to speak. You know, um, I know that for example, Frankie Edgar um, is on his uh, last fight of his contract, and it's in a way unthinkable to 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 see, to, to hope to think that Frankie Edgar wouldn't get re-signed by the UFC. But to be honest with you, under the WMEIMG ownership, I just don't think anything's for sure anymore. We just don't know what could potentially happen. Um, and I think, you know, someone like Frankie Edgar, who's in his 30s, this may be his final, last big contract. He may want to maximize the amount of revenue he can potentially make here uh, before retirement. You know, uh, who knows how many more fights he's got left in, in the tank. He's been around for quite some time himself. So um that was the last question from Simon Danger. Really um interesting set of questions this week. And uh and that is, brings us to the end of, of that particular segment, Simon.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And thank you to everyone who sent questions in. Uh please do start getting your questions into us now for next week's show. Uh you can tweet them to us at the Britpack MMA. Make sure that is in the tweet somewhere, even if you're tweeting directly to me or Sandu. Make sure you get at the Britpack MMA in your tweet. That will that will uh, alert it to everyone concerned and uh, Sandu will, uh, will, will will like the ones that are going to go on the question list that week and uh, we'll, we'll get all the questions lined up. So uh, if you want to get a question in on the show, little tip for you, get it in early because uh, we'll see them come in and they won't get buried under anything else. Uh, please do check out the website at thebritpackmma.com. That's where all our stuff lives. You can find out more about the show. You can listen to past episodes on there and all the myriad different ways that you can... Subscribe, but I might as well tell you while we're on here as well. So you can listen and subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Acast. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you're if you're an iTunes subscriber. That helps spread the word about our little show as we uh, as we look to head towards episode number fifty. We've done the first twenty five. Now we've got another twenty five to go before we get that half century. You can tweet us as we mentioned earlier. You can tweet the show direct at the Pack MMA. You can also get Sandu at Sandy MMA, uh, and yours truly at Simon Head. Uh, enjoy the fights this Saturday night. We're back on UFC pay-per-view duty. If you're in London and you want to watch the UFC live somewhere, then uh, check out the uh, the Grover Casino in Russell Square. Uh, it's somewhere that we've done a couple of podcasts from in the past. They've started doing more regular uh, fight night events There. Beer, burger, and a bet—it's like $8.95 I think it is. Uh, they've done it for boxing events, and I know they've been popular. And they've started doing UFC events as well. And they've been really pleased uh, from talking to them about how how they've how they've been uh, faring as well. And uh, we've been there a couple of times, and uh, you know, from personal anecdotal experience—we can say uh, it's a fun place to go and watch the fights. And uh, so, if you're in town, you want to get a few lads together and a few boys and girls together and go and watch the fights. It's not always easy to find somewhere to watch fights live because the pubs aren't always open that late uh, and uh, not everyone wants to stay up late and watch live fights. So, But the Grosvenor Casino in Russell Square is one of them. We'll, we'll ping out the link um, on social media and uh, we'll stick it at the bottom of the post on our website which will contain this very show. So uh, if you fancy a bit of live action, check that out as well and uh, you can even lose your money on that table afterwards so uh, yeah that's pretty much all we have this week enjoy the fights this weekend UFC 208 Holly Holm versus Jermaine Durandamy we will be we will be back next week to pick over the bones of that event and look forward to the next one but until then enjoy the fights we'll see you soon